0: It's, it's hard to believe that, uh, you know, it's Christmas Eve already, right? When we started thinking about this was probably right after Thanksgiving, and uh, already it's here. And so uh, I'd like to just say to you that, you know what, uh, Christmas Eve is saying to us that some 2,000 years ago, the whole world was visited by God. Think about this. The whole world was visited by God. I try to, you know, get a grip on what that really means. And uh, when I was a kid, I had an ant farm. You ever, you remember those? Some of you are old enough maybe to remember. It's like two pieces of glass, you put dirt in it, put a bunch of ants in it and feed it and water it once in a while and put the top on. And if you don't put the top on, the ants get out and your mom gets mad. And uh, that's the end of your ant farm. But I thought, you know, I loved my ant farm. It was very cool. You could watch them making little tunnels and you know, setting up their whole community and all of that. And I thought, what would it take for me to humble myself and empty myself and become an ant so that I could get into that cage and tell them to stop escaping, to stop running? What would it take for me as a human being to become an ant? And I try to think, what would it take for God to become a human being, to come all the way down to our level in the person of Jesus Christ, to be born as a little baby, God, reduced to a little dependent baby. What would it take to come all the way down and make Christmas happen? And so Christmas Eve is, you know, the whole world that's going to be visited by God. And, you know, the problem, not too many people knew about it, right? It was going to happen. It was planned for a long time. But I'm going to say that uh, probably Mary and Joseph kind of knew what was going on. And, uh, you know, uh, probably uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah knew what was happening. And these two older people, Simeon and Anna, who were at the temple You know, as soon as Jesus was born, they recognized him. You know why? Because they lived with hope. They read the scriptures and they knew that God was going to send a Messiah. And they knew certain truths that God had revealed ahead of time. And so when it happened, they recognized, wow, this is Jesus, the Messiah. And they were waiting with a sense of expectation. So they recognized him. And I think the shepherds and the wise men and the angels, they all knew something big was going on. Not so sure how much they understood But something unusual was happening. The God of creation, the Father, Son, and Spirit that brought the universe into being, the loving creator who invented people and shared his breath with us, the God uh, who through uh, a choice made a promise to a man named Abram who was later called Abraham. And uh, God told Abraham he was going to create a nation going to create a nation. There was no nation of Israel. God created the nation of Israel uh, through Abraham, and uh, he was creating that nation in order that he might raise the seed of a woman. Just think about that. It's kind of odd, isn't it? It's an obvious reference. It's in Genesis 3.15. In the very beginning, God said the seed of a woman was going to come. And uh obvious reference to the virgin birth of Jesus, all the way back in Genesis, and so forth, and then God put all of this in writing, and uh, God promised this anointed one put it in writing uh, that he would send this servant king that we sang about this morning, and then finally, the visit came, and Jesus came on christmas time here's the way John talks about it in uh, john 's gospel in the eighteenth verse of the first chapter. Uh, John says this, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, he has made him known. If you ever talking to somebody and, and, and they're arguing with you? Well, I, I think Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't really God. Here the Bible comes right out and says, no, the, one, the God who was by the Father's right hand, is the God Jesus who came in order to make God the Father known. And uh, he let it be known that God loves us. God loves you. He loves me. Uh, But, you know, we live in the dark. People were separated from God, uh, alienated from God, and people don't know that there's a God. Still people today, lots of people today, have no clue that there's a God in heaven. When you mention God to people and you begin to get into a a discussion with people about God, not very many people understand that the God who created us and breathed life into us loves us and has a plan for us. Because why? Because the world is in the dark. But Jesus is the light of the world. And God has a plan, a joyous, with a joyous smile on his face and a horrible pain in his heart. He took his only begotten son and put him on a cross and put everything that comes between us and God on Jesus and allowed him to pay the penalty for our sin, uh, for our wrong thoughts, our wrong actions, our wrong feelings and so forth. And uh, God put him on a cross so that Jesus could take on or God could take on himself the sins of the world. And so for all who believe, all who trust Jesus, he is the way back to God. He is the truth. The word of God became flesh, and he is now the source of our thoughts, those who trust him. He's the source of our feelings, right? And he's the source of our choices. He lives in us. His spirit gets inside of those who trust him. And he becomes the source of our very life. Incarnated at Christmas, crucified on Good Friday, brought back to life on Easter Sunday, and coming again someday to be glorified by the whole world, to be understood by the whole world, to be recognized and worshiped. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a day that's going to be. What a day that's going to be. And so um, let me just, again, uh, Titus, you know, I think sums this up so well. In Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. Past tense. The grace of God came at Christmas time, wrapped up in the person of Jesus, bringing salvation for all people. That's the past. Training us. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. That's the present, right? That's what we're doing now. And then the 13th verse says, waiting for our blessed hope. The word blessed is mostly translated happy. Waiting for our happy hope. We're waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're waiting for that day when the whole world will recognize who he is uh, as we do now. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that you and I are living today, um, we are living today in the in between. We're in between the first coming and the return of Jesus. We're living in the in between. Um, We're living between the day of salvation, when Jesus came the first time, and the day of the Lord's return, the day of the Lord. We're living between the already and the not yet, and sometimes that can be confusing. We're living between the already, certain things have happened to us already, certain things have been announced and proclaimed by heaven already, but we're also living with the not yet. Certain things have been promised to us about the future that we have not uh, experienced yet. And again, I would say the Bible puts it this way. In uh, 1 John, uh, he says this in the third chapter, Beloved, we are God's children now. Who are we? We are the sons and daughters of the living God. That's who we are right now. And what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when Christ comes back, when he appears, we're going to be like him. In other words, we're going to have more and more of what we already have now, only we'll have more and more then. We're living between the already and the not yet. Uh, One of my favorite uh, passages that talks about this is in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read these words. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Now, that's significant because uh, this passage of Scripture is comparing the Old Testament with Jesus. And in the Old Testament, the priests never sat down because the sacrifices never ended. And Jesus comes and he offers for one time, for all time, one sacrifice and he sits down. You know, if you study like the furniture that was in the temple, there's no chairs. They never sat down. You know, and so the author here is saying, Jesus sat down. Certain things are finished. Certain things are ours now. And here's, the, here's what he goes on and says. And, um, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time Those who are being sanctified. Now, I remind my wife of this on occasion. Honey, I'm already perfected. I've been perfected by what Jesus did the first time. I just need time to grow into it. Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, for by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We are already proclaimed, you know, perfect. But we are also growing into that perfection as we go along. And you you decide, you know, do you believe that? Has God already, you know, it's kind of like I tried to think of an example. It's like, you know, the presents are already bought, but you don't get to open them until tomorrow. And God already bought the present of perfection for us And he's in the process of us growing into that perfection, which will be ours when the Lord comes back. And uh, we will see him as he is and a number of things will happen to us. So living in the in-between takes faith. I suggest to you that faith is always based on the past. Faith is about what God has already said and already done. Why do you have faith? Why do you put your faith in God's word? Well, because of what God has already done. Look at the creation. Look at the stars. Look at all that God has made. Look at what he's done on the cross. Look at what he's already accomplished in your life by putting his spirit in you. You're not perfect yet. You're growing into that perfection. But God has said it's going to come. It's going to come. And uh, so he he goes on here. And um, it takes faith for us to live in the in-between. And I want to say it also takes hope. It takes hope to live in the in-between, hope about the future. Hope is really about the future, right? Nobody hopes for what they already have. Hope is always about the future, okay? We don't hope for what we already have. Uh, Faith and hope, I want to suggest to you, are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Faith and hope go together. And uh, we, a lot of times, focus on faith and the past, and we feel secure in that, but we don't focus a lot on hope. Because we don't feel as secure that we understand what God has promised that he's going to do in the future. And so hope, I want to say, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, here's God's definition or the Bible's definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith and hope are two sides of the same coin. Right? Faith and hope go together. Uh, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is desire plus expectation. Faith is what I'm hoping for and I expect to happen because of the promises that God has made. What are you hoping for? You ever kind of ask yourself about hope? What am I hoping for? Well, man, I I would hope, I'm hoping that death would be overcome. God says, you got it. I already did it. In the resurrection, I promise you, you are going to live past the grave, past your own grave. You know, I I hope that there could be life without disease and without pain and without tears. And God's like, you got it. You got it. I put my son on the cross so that you can look forward to having a life that's tears are dried up. Pain is gone. Disease is eliminated. What a, what a, you know? I look forward to someday having a life where there's no anger and people love each other and uh, people are full of joy and peace, you know, and uh, they love one another. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me. It's God um, who wants us to live with an abundance of hope. You remember our theme verse for these series of messages comes from Romans 15 where God says, uh, may the God of hope What's God's name in this passage? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That's what God wants, that we would be filled with joy and peace because of the hope that we have. When we're confident that this is going to happen to us in the future, there's a joy and a a peace that's deep and settled that comes from God. In fact, this passage of scripture says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. In believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Abound in hope. That's God's will that we be filled, abounding, and looking forward to what he's promised. You know, and that changes us. As a matter of fact, joy and peace in the Christian life are supernatural. They come from God. God. So that, it says right here in this verse, right, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we could abound and be full of hope. That what would set us apart from our neighbors and what would set us apart from people who don't know Jesus is that we would be filled with this uh, hope. And uh, that hope would produce in us kind of a joy and a peace uh, that would be different than what people experience Uh, who don't know Jesus, and when we embrace that hope, Jesus brings this supernaturally um, joy and peace, and so we Christians, I think, have more reason to be filled with joy and peace than any other group on the planet. We have something to look forward to, something that's a sure thing, something that's a promise of God, and look over the past and see how uh, abundantly God has uh, fulfilled all of his promises, Now, for much of the world, joy and peace are pretty elusive. I mean, when you think about what's going on in the world, when you watch the news and you kind of ask yourself the question, where's the joy? Where's the peace in our world? And uh, there's a number of places in scripture. I just uh, thought I would choose one place to uh, read from to talk about uh, peace. Uh, Listen to God kind of describe us as he uh, does in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, starting in verse 12, says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. One time we were part of the darkness of the world. None of us comes into the world uh, without darkness, right? We've all come in the likeness of Adam and Eve and so on. Uh, look, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, this passage of scripture is kind of comparing Christians with the Israelites, Okay. And so we were in the world without Christ, and we were separated from the nation of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. God had made some promises to the nation of Israel. He had made a great promise to Abraham, right? And uh, in that promise, God made some promises to us. He promised that through Abraham, he would bless all the peoples in the world. And so God made some promises to Abraham and down through Israel uh, and um, But we were in the world, uh, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's who we were. That's how all the world is. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been brought close to God through what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the shedding of his blood, the giving of his life for the sins of the world, for he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. And so we have, we Gentiles who are at one time far off have been brought close and Jesus has become our peace. And so we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we can be at peace with ourselves. And because we have peace with ourselves, we can be at peace with one another. And the church can be a refuge of peace and joy for the people of the world as they come and experience with us the reality of what Christ has accomplished for us. Uh, peace. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They pealed they the bells more loud and deep God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, good will to men. A great old hymn, right? A reminder that God is not dead, he's not asleep, and that someday good will between men will exist. What a great day that's gonna be. Someday good will triumph over evil. Someday the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, uh, Revelation chapter 11 someday the prince of peace will return and what the angels saying in Luke chapter 2 will become complete peace and goodwill will prevail for now we experience peace between God and us we're at peace with God and because of that we can be at peace with ourselves and because of that we can be at peace with one another and offer peace and joy to the world around us with confidence Um. Yes, we have tribulation, Jesus says. They hated me. They're going to hate you in this world. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We live in the already, uh, between the already and the not yet. Uh, but we have hope, right? And then joy. Joy and peace are attitudes, right? We choose our own attitudes. Would you agree with that? Most people, you know, think that our attitudes just happen to us. Stuff happens and we cop an attitude. And No, we choose With the Lord in our life, we get to choose our attitude. And joy and peace are attitudes that really affect every other area of our life. And when we think about it, uh, we have the privilege of being able to choose peace and joy. Uh, God said to his people long before Christmas, he said through Nehemiah to his people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord in this life is our strength. When we recognize who Jesus is and the joy that he had and and so forth, and the joy that uh, marks his life and the joy that is ours in the future, I mean, even uh, Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2 said he faced the cross and he faced the shame and the pain of the cross by looking to the joy that was before him. How did Jesus go through all of that? You remember in the garden, he said, oh, God, if there's some other way, please I don't want to become the sin of the world. I don't want to, for the first time of eternity, have you, my father, turn his back on me because I've become our sin. If there's some other way, but there was no other way. But how'd he face that? How'd he do it? He had hope. He had hope in pleasing his father because that's what the father had ordained from before the world began. He had hope that, you know what? When we experience his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his promises for eternity, that we would love him back. He had hoped, you know? Doesn't the Bible say, you know, we only love because he first loves us. He goes first all the time. He goes first. He reaches out to us. He dies in our place. He makes promises. He draws us to himself and so on. He always goes first in the hope that we're going to respond with the love that he first showed us. Uh, the hope of uh, setting us free from our own sin and from death. The hope of uh, um, his return where he recreates the world, a new heaven, new earth, Revelation chapter 20 and 21. Uh, the hope of coming back and, and uh, seeing the smiles on our face as his children as we're revealed to the world. Uh, we live between the already and the not yet. Uh, One more passage of scripture, sorry kids. First Peter, Uh, you know, we have an unshakable hope uh, and Jesus' resurrection is our guarantee. Listen to what Peter writes to uh, his people. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope a living hope, an active hope, a hope that's influencing the way we think and the way we feel and the way we make choices, the way we interact with people, the way we interact with the world, the way we interact with one another. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That's fabulous. Not only that, but he goes on, he says, and you have been born again to an inheritance an inheritance. Everything that's the Father's is going to become ours. <laughs> you know, we don't have to worry about, you know, getting the most we can of the world. It's all going to be ours. An inheritance. Have you ever received an inheritance? Have you ever been on the receiving end of an inheritance? It's, it's really kind of a moving experience. We have been born again to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading we have an inheritance that's hear that imperishable undefiled and unfading unlike anything in this world it's an inheritance kept in heaven for you who by god's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you rejoice in this you rejoice wow we have a future we have an inheritance We have an inheritance that won't fade, that won't ever go away, guarded. We'll never lose it. It's guarded by God. Peter's explaining to people. (coughs) And then he goes on to explain what it means to live between the already and the not yet. And Peter says, we have this great inheritance in this all. We greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials the already and the not yet, okay? Even though now we're grieved sometimes by various trials, why do we have these trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, at the return of Christ Jesus. So that your faith, right, uh, is tested, so, and you know, the test isn't so God knows about our faith. The test is so that we can know where we're at in of How strong is our faith? How deep is our faith? How in 2024 is our faith going to grow? You know, how will it be tested? Because that's how faith grows through tests. If you have a test and you fail the test, right? You kind of know like, wow, I just don't know this. And if God allows something to come into our life and it doesn't Uh, result in a deeper faith and more confidence in him it tells us kind of where we're at with God and that's why God uh, tells us that you know these are tests and that our faith uh, is grown through this and then he says this in verse 8 though you have not this is what a uh, living between the already and the not yet is like here's what he says though you have not seen him Jesus you love him right that's what happens between uh, the past and the future. Uh, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Joy inexpressible. Uh, If the rest of the world were kind of to look at the Christian community and Would they say, wow, those people are filled with joy and peace? Peace and joy. That's what marks their lives. Joy inexpressible. They're always so happy. Uh, They're always so at peace. Even when tough stuff comes their way, they have a way. There's a a peace that passes understanding that the world doesn't understand. There's a bigger background to our faith than just, you know, uh, what is lived out on a day-to-day experience. We are living between the already and the not yet, between the first coming and the second coming of God into the world, and we are being refined and readied for his return. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I may abound with hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, on this Christmas Eve, when we think about a couple thousand years ago, how the whole world was going to be visited by the living God, how you were going to empty yourself and humble yourself and become a little baby in order, Father, that you might uh, embrace us, that you might bring light to us, that you might love us, that you might bring joy and peace into our lives, that you would bring hope and make promises about the future that we could live with. That would enable us, Father, to grow into the perfection that you created us uh, in Christ Jesus. You recreated us through Jesus. And so, Father, may this Christmas be a time. May this Christmas be the best Christmas of all. May we understand deeper than we ever have before the reality of what you did at Christmas time for us. And may, Father, that lead to uh, confidence in the promises you've made about the future. And may we, in fact, look forward to the return of Jesus with such hope that you can use that hope to create within us a supernatural kind of joy and peace that will mark us and enable us to share uh, your truth with the people around us through Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.